one of the benefits is me. I uh, get the real privilege. Um, as I said, I think the last time I preached, which was back in November, I think, um, I get to be a grandfather, grandpa, to uh, a pappy, uh, to to you, and uh, to love on you, and and uh, all that kind of stuff. And then if you cause a lot of problems and stink, I just send you home to your parents. <laughs> and uh, so that's a cool, cool thing. I get all the fun part of it, and I get out from under all the pressure of it. So I like that. It is a real privilege for me. Uh, to be able to come. I, I love to hear Pastor Chris preach. And uh, he's a good communicator, a good preacher of the word. And uh, I always love that. And uh, I, I am semi-retired. Um, I spent the last two weeks down at my youngest daughter's house. Um, her husband, Dave, is on a mission trip to India. And um, Laura, <clears throat> we have three, I have three grandchildren there. And um, so I got the privilege of staying there for uh, the last two weeks and um, helping with them. Uh, Laura is super, super extremely busy um, with all the stuff she's doing. Uh, she, does, she homeschools the kids, and then she goes to the nursing school herself, and uh, she's a pastor's wife, and she actually preached last Sunday. And uh, so with her extremely busy schedule... She wanted to know if I could come down because she gets scared at night by herself. And uh, <laughs> no, but I got to got to cook. Um, I tell you what, Daniel fast stinks <laughs> when you have to cook delicious food for other kids, and you got to eat Daniel fast stuff. Now it doesn't bother me at all when I'm home. I can do this fine, but you get me fixing waffles, oh, blueberry waffles, and then. The people in the church were so kind when Dave was gone. They, they uh, took us out to eat some to their house. And, uh, oh, my goodness, the Mexican food they fixed was to die for, and I had to take my salad and, and stuff. And then they, they'd send in pizza, and uh, pizza is awesome when you're on a Daniel fast, but you can't eat it. So it's kind of good to be home so I don't have to have that struggle. But, but how many of you uh, on the Daniel fast feel better after you've been on this these last three weeks? How many? Okay, so why quit it? Why quit? Uh, I was telling the first service, Daniel, the Daniel fast, when, when Daniel ate like this, it wasn't a change of menu or, or his diet. It was, it was what he was accustomed to eating. Uh, he was one of the eunuchs along with the other guys that um, were being tested for positions of authority in the kingdom. And uh, the king ordered that all these guys be fed the best that the kingdom had to offer and some of the rich meat and stuff that the king offered. And so Daniel, uh, being a brilliant man, and he obviously was, uh, he, he said, please, let us just eat what we normally eat. And uh, so the guy said, yeah, but if you're, not, if, if you're weak and frail, you know, my head will come off. And... Uh, so I said, well, give us a test. And, uh, of course, Daniel and his, compa- his companions looked far better. And so the Daniel fast is not Daniel fasting. It's Daniel eating what he normally ate as a really wise, brilliant man. And uh, so, um, so, yeah, I'm, I actually had a doctor's appointment, and I canceled it because I want to wait for another couple of months to get my blood work done so I can get off some medicine. So, um, 
So why quit? Now, my wife and I, we planned, well, I planned to keep on. I think she's going to do the same thing. So, yeah, she's a good, supportive wife. So if you feel better, if you, you know, then, then keep on it. All right, got one amen. <laughs> now, if you die a disease, your family's going to be left without you know, a weakened family. So we want to talk about strengthening families. <laughs> so uh, take care of yourself. This is part four, the last, last seg- segment of uh, Strengthen, great series, and um, the text that Pastor Chris has used from Isaiah uh, is, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. Today we're going to talk about how to strengthen the stakes of family life. Obviously, Isaiah was using a word picture here uh, of one's dwelling when he referenced the, uh, your tent, uh, and he exhorts to strengthen your stakes for the purpose of adding stability to your home. Now, most of us are not nomads. You know, back in those days, the a lot of shepherds, and they, they went with their flocks. Uh, and so we, we don't do a lot of traveling. Uh, and you know, most people today do it in a motorhome or a, or a uh, camper or something like that. But we generally have secure homes that are built on strong foundations. Now, some of us have experienced a little bit of the nomadic life, and I had the privilege of uh, doing that for six months uh, when I through-hiked the Appalachian Trail. And then this past summer... Uh, when I rode my bicycle across the country, uh, I slept in a tent, I'm, I'm not sure how many times, maybe, uh, you know, close to 90 times, I guess, um, set up a tent. And uh, I slept out in all kinds of conditions, uh, but most of the time, almost never without wind. And then, of course, the Midwest, a lot of wind. And so it's critical that the tent um, be pitched tightly and staked securely. And uh, so we did that. It was some pretty stormy weather on occasion. Uh, but there's no question today that family life is undergoing storms that are beating upon um, our families. It's under serious attack by Satan. And uh, lots of homes are surviving, maybe, but just barely. Uh, and so I want to talk today about strengthening families. Uh, why, is it that, why is it that we're under such attack? You know, why, why such an attack upon the family? Well, God's first institution on this earth was the family. Um, the family, the system of human relationships was designed by God, not by man. And so God orchestrated this. He ordained it. And uh, there's no other arrangement that I know of that will provide for us the companionship that uh, family life does, nor the atmosphere in which we can train and nurture our children to grow up and be successful in life. And so anything that God has ordained or set in order or uh, authorized, uh, you can be sure that it's the focal point of attack by the forces of Satan. And so today, the family system of life 
is a major target in the devil's warfare against God's design of fulfilling human relationship. And so we see couples asking themselves, what is, um, what's missing from our relationship? What's wrong with us? Or asking, why aren't our kids, why aren't our children behaving themselves in a more loving, obedient way? Or what's causing this, this feeling, this sense of alienation between us as parents and our children? And why don't we have that warm, fuzzy feeling that families are supposed to have? Why are we not experiencing that? I just want you to know that all families go through this, and, it's, and the church is not exempt in any way. In fact, if you want to know the truth, when I try to think of an exemplary family in the Bible that I could speak about today that we could emulate as a good model, I came up totally empty. If you think about it, can you come up with anyone in the Bible, any family in the Bible that would serve as a great model? There are some that, that, yeah, parts of their life, you know, Hannah um, had Samuel, that's great, but she took him to the temple and gave him away, uh, and so there's not much family life, so, so I just, you search over, and, and uh, there's some great men and women in the Bible, uh, but most of them had subpar parental skills or had flawed character. And so God would forgive them, God would use them in, in mighty ways, but their families suffered from neglect or from, being, uh, from, from parenthood that, that, was, um, that was not done properly. So you think about, first off, Adam and Eve in a perfect environment, and yet um, they had issues. Um, Eve succumbed to temptation, then Adam followed suit, and uh, he also sinned. But then afterwards, he subsequently threw Eve under the bus when God confronted them, and he said, well, she did it first. She made me do it. And, and, uh, and so um, they had issues, first off. And so then after being driven out of the Garden of Eden, no sooner were they out than their two sons, Cain and Abel, got into a good fight, and uh, Cain ended up murdering Abel. So that's the first family. Issues. Noah was a great man. And he stood up for righteousness in the middle of a, a wicked generation. He obeyed God in the, in the building of an ark to, uh, for its survival of his family. But yet later on, his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, uh, great names, by the way, if you want to come up with some with your new kids, <laughs> especially Ham. Uh, but Shem, Ham, and Japheth, had to, had to devise a strategy to uh, hide their father's drunken uh, shame. And then you look at Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau, and uh, they were bitter rivals. From the very beginning, Jacob got a hold of Esau's heel as he came out of the wound, and uh, there was this discord and their scheming going on between them constantly that has not stopped to this day. There's still, after centuries, uh, all that bitterness between the two peoples. Jacob's sons are the picture of sibling rivalry. Part of that caused by uh, their father's favoritism, especially toward Joseph. And so 
you see this kind of family. Jesse's sons uh, were cruel to their youngest brother, David. Partly because of jealousy, perhaps. But then David, he's a great warrior and a king. But he's unfortunate in his relationships with wives and children. So after the fiasco of his marriage to King Saul's daughter, he then later later marries Abigail. And then he commits adultery with Bathsheba. Then his son Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar. David didn't do anything to discipline him for it. Amnon is killed by David's other son, Absalom. Well, then David later committed murder to cover up his adulterous affair. So the family, ideal picture of what a family should look like, right? The family has suffered greatly because David failed to carry out, carry his relationship with God, which was awesome, carried that relationship into a relationship with his family. And he's called a man after God's own heart. And that's not because of the way he lived uh, in his sin, but it's because he, he humbled himself and he repented and he sought after God and he, and he worshiped God with all of his heart. And he was arguably uh, Israel's greatest king, but he could not manage his own household. And so the Bible consistently portrays the family as a seri- in a series of broken relationships in need of healing and redemption. Now, one positive that comes out of all of that is that not any of us here need to carry this great burden of guilt if our family life is not the way we think it ought to be. It's obviously something has gone wrong with the family, but it went wrong a long time before we came on the scene. And so it doesn't do any good to sit around and complain about it or to feel guilty. But what we need to do and, and thank God there are some things that we can do to, in going to work to nurture the family back to where it ought to be based upon the wholesome, godly principles of God's word. We can experience grace and we can, we can distribute and introduce grace to our family. It's God's plan, I believe, and his intention that we experience strong, loving family life. Now, we do that by snapping our fingers. No, strong, godly families don't just happen. They're built. They're built. And and they must be built upon a strong foundation. And that foundation is a love for God, a love for His Word, and then loving relationships with each other in the family. That's the foundation to build a strong family. So how do we go about building this? Well, obviously, it must start with us as parents. Start with the parents. Maintain a loving relationship as husband and wife. Start right there. Your relationship. Build that. You know, Paul most likely uh, was not a father. And he was single, as far as we know. And yet he offers the most and the best advice for parenting and marriage. And sometimes we want to dismiss people like that. 
because we know what it is growing up as uh, young adults before we get married. Uh, we know how to take care of kids. We know how, my, my kid's not going to do that. And uh, we, we have all the answers. And then we find out we don't. But, but, you know, Paul, obviously, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these things. And so in Ephesians 5.25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So it's vitally important that parents have a loving relationship with each other. And I believe that's one of the best gifts, one of the best things you can do for your children. Love each other. For one thing, it's such a great example and um, produces security in the home. When there's strife between the husband and wife, children feel insecure. So give them the gift of a loving relationship. So as a couple, spend time with each other. You live in the same house, but you can live in the same house and not be together. So spend time with each other. Nurture your relationship. Resolve conflicts. If they're there, resolve them in the right way. Invest in each other in practical ways and enjoy one another. Go on some dates, even after you're married, particularly after you're married. That's fun. I got an amen corner. <laughs> Get in the habit of expressing appreciation for each other. Find ways to promote the welfare of each other, even if it involves sacrifice on your part. So when children see parents truly loving and valuing each other, then it brings security to them and it brings peace in the home as well as joy in the house. And so start with your relationship as parents, as husband and wife, to strengthen the family. And then... The other way to strengthen the family is to win and to keep the hearts of your children. Win the heart of your children and keep it. There's nothing in the world of greater value than the souls of our children. There's nothing. None. And so it's vital that we have the hearts of our children in order to be able to influence them in godly ways uh, for Christ and to direct them in and the, and the path that he'd have them to go. And so winning the heart of a child, it, it differs in each family because each child is unique. And so you have to meet the child at whatever age he or she is. And so you win their hearts different ways, whatever age they are, and their maturity level. And uh, so, so you do that. You, you, you have to understand their personality, and uh, win their heart based upon their personality and their interests. And so as parents, we got to determine to focus it on whatever it takes to win our children's hearts, we'll do it. It takes an effort. And uh, to be honest with you, sometimes it happens naturally. But there are occasions where, like us, our, our firstborn, secondborn, and thirdborn we had three kids, uh, were all strong-willed. And, um, you know, that sometimes there was, there was challenge to, to win their hearts and to keep their hearts. And so we need to say, God, give me wisdom. 
And James says he's promised. If you ask, he'll give you wisdom. And so whatever it is, that once you have the heart of your children, once you get their heart, you have their life and you have their loyalty. But if you don't get it, and their friends get their heart, then it's hard to win it back. So let's win their heart. How do we do that? How do, how do we win the heart of our children? Well, the first thing you need to do is accept your children. Accept them. In Romans 15, 7, Paul says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Now, as parents, we need, as Paul says, to accept our children as God accepted us and then allow him to love them through us. You know, many times we're not lovable. None of those exceptions. My wife will tell me I'm always lovable. Um, she probably won't tell you, but I just know. Uh, but God still loves us unconditionally. And so God's expression of love to us ought to be our example of loving our children unconditionally. Now in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, Paul describes a little of what, it is, what the end times will be like. Uh, but mark this, Paul said, there will be terrible times in the last days. And then he goes to all these awful characteristics of the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. And then right in the midst of that long list of characteristics, and that's not even the whole list, is, is this word that's translated without love. It's a Greek word, astorgos, and it's a combination of two words, a or a, meaning without or not, and storge, which is family love. And so basically, literally, it means without family affection. And most of the time, it was used in parent-child, uh, referring to parent-child relationships. But when William Barclay uh, notes in his commentary on this, and he quotes a guy that lived back in that age, uh, the Roman Empire, uh, he said um, the Roman Empire was an age in which family love was dying. Never was the life of a child so precarious as at this time. Children were considered a misfortune. When a child was born, it was taken and laid at the father's feet. If the father lifted it up, that meant that he acknowledged it. If he turned away and left it, the child was literally thrown out. And he says, there was never a night when there were not 30 or 40 abandoned children left in the Roman Forum. Now, that word describes family love back in the Roman Empire. But I think at times, as we see on the news, it's an apt description of what too often transpires in our century as well. Unloving behavior. Now, it can, it'll surface in spouse abuse. And, it's, you know, spouse abuse is not just husbands slapping a wife around. Sometimes she slaps him around. And child abuse. And oftentimes it doesn't make headlines unless it's particularly brutal or sensational. 
Uh, it's just a common thing that happens in our day. Uh, no family love expressed. And I'm not even talking, not even going to go into abortion. But if there's no natural human affection, the family cannot long exist. And so children need to know that we as parents are grateful for them. Don't just assume that they know it because they're our kids. But you need to let them know that you're grateful for them and that they are a vital part of our family. Showing unconditional love and acceptance for them regularly is necessary to win and keep the hearts of your children. And if we fail to do that, then our children will look to someone else for approval. So let's let dad and mom be the ones that provide the best source of love and support for our children. Amen? Amen. So begin to strengthen this relationship and win the hearts of your children by accepting them. And then the second thing, understand your children. By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established, Proverbs says. Now, how do we learn to understand our children? One of the best ways is to learn to listen to them. We expect them to listen to us, but let's learn to listen to them. Give our undivided attention and our eyes to them when they talk to us. It's easy for us as parents to think ahead of our children, and we anticipate what they'll say or ask. And so how many times do we have to admit, you know, we've already made our mind up, and so when one of our children comes and says, hey, Dad, can I buy a... No. Or she comes and says, hey, Mom, can I go? No. And so, now I'm kind of guilty of that. Donna will tell you. Uh, she comes into the office over the years and says, hey, Pastor, I got a question. <clears throat> I say, okay. Answer is no. What's the question? <laughs> but I'm joking, right? Yeah, I am. You don't... <laughs> But we need to listen because our children need to know that we value their perspective. We don't want our kids at any point to say, my parents don't understand me. So if we're going to understand them, we have to listen. And we need to make it a point to understand. If we don't understand them, we don't listen, walls will go up. That relationship to our children will be lost. And it's difficult to win it back. So let's accept and seek to understand our children. And that takes work. Uh, It it helps to learn their birth order tendencies. Firstborns respond to things differently than the baby does of the family. The middle child syndromes. We we need to understand those tendencies. Helps us to understand how they respond or how how they act sometimes. Discover with them their spiritual gifts. What has God imparted to them and and wired them to have a passion for? Understand their love language. It's important to understand your wife or husband's love language, but understand your children's love language. And discover their personality types. Those, those Those are ways that we can learn about our children. And studying our children to help us to see life from their perspective and understand how they view various situations. 
And then the third thing to win, and here's particularly to keep the hearts of your children, is resolve anger issues. Resolve anger issues. Disciplining in anger can severely damage our relationship with our children. Let me say that again. Disciplining in anger can severely damage our relationship with our children. James' advice that he gives to us in chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 is applicable not just to adult interactions, but also those with our children where he says, everyone should be quick to listen. See? Listen. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. When it comes to discipline, keep in mind that it is a correction for the future good of the child, not a punishment for past transgressions. And so you're not spanking them or you're not disciplining them because of a mistake they made, but you're correcting them for the future, the future direction that they should be, that, you know, God wants them to go. So when it comes to discipline, recall how God disciplines us. Uh, God does it always out of a heart of genuine love. God doesn't deal with us in anger. And I'm glad for that. Scripture tells us clearly that he does not give us what we justly deserve. He's merciful. And so let's, in, in a similar way, be merciful in disciplining our children. And all the kids said, a loving relationship will make discipline effective. Now, Linda and I, we, we believed in this scriptural discipline of spanking. Now, you may or may not, you may find something more effective. That just seemed effective uh, to, with us. And, and, uh, and, and we um, tried to make very sure that we never did it in anger. I don't recall ever discipline in anger. Um, but ours, we, we went through a process. So if somebody did something wrong, uh, there was a process. And uh, so <clears throat> I, we, we'd, we'd take them to the pain room, which is usually their bedroom. And um, I, we, didn't, we didn't want to do it in our bedroom because we wanted them to feel free to come to us. But pain room was their room. And uh, so we go in and sit down. Okay, why am I spanking you? So they have to explain why. Okay, I want to make, you, make sure you understand. Now, hey, listen, small children, if you say, I'm going to spank you when you get home, and then you, you light into them without reminding them, they don't know what I get spanked for, I can't remember. So, you know, all right. So here's what I did wrong. Okay, so you think spanking is justified? Yes. Okay, so we, we, I'd have them put their hands on the bed and bend over, and I didn't want to hit their hands. So uh, just spank them where the right place to spank. And then we sat down and we'd talk and we'd pray and um, we'd let them ask for forgiveness after they repented for their, their, what they did wrong. And we assured them that we forgave them and we loved them. That was a process. Uh, it, it happens regularly. Now, some of you have seen this before. But this, this is like two or three years ago. So some of you are new. This is, I want you to hear my youngest daughter. I asked her if she would um, relate one of the funniest instances I can remember. And so this is our youngest daughter, Laura, talking about the situation. 
So, um, growing up, I had an awesome childhood. Um, I had a great mom and dad, obviously, and we have some really awesome memories. Um, one of those being um, a particular instance where my sister and I had to be disciplined. And I remember it was Sunday night church, and we were young enough to not know better. I guess we probably should have known better. But um, I remember that there was an altar call that was going on, and um, Dad was going around, and he was praying for people that were kneeling at the altar. Um, and I remember my sister and I thought it a good idea to play a game of tag. And so um, she tagged me, and I was it. And so I took off after her. And I remember that we got to the front, and we were jumping over people's feet that were praying at the altar. Um, and I remember when Dad stood up from praying with someone in particular, and we locked eyes, you know, um, and it wasn't good. His face was just that of, I was terrified, honestly. And I'm like, oh, man, we're going to get it big time. And so, um, sure enough, he got both of us by the arm, and he took us right to the back of the church, and... He sat us down, uh, my sister on one pew and, and me on the other pew, and he was like, and you girls sit here and do not move because you know what's coming when we get home. And we knew what was coming, and it was a spanking, and it was going to hurt, and we knew that. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm just crying, I'm so upset, and I look across at my sister, she's crying upset, but then all of a sudden it was like this light bulb came on, and she looked at me, and um, she was like, Laura, it's okay, I have an idea. You know, so I'm thinking, all right, big sister has a plan. This has to be good. It's going to work. I trust her completely. Um, so service ends, and we're watching people leave and, you know, thinking, no, just stay a little longer. Uh, and so we go off back home, and, and we get there, and Nicole pulls me into her room real quick, and she's like, Laura, take this book and put it down in your pants. And then when Daddy spanks you, it's not going to hurt. Like, he's just going to hit the book, and... It'll be okay. You know, and I'm like, man, you were a genius. Why didn't I think of this, right? So um, we put our books in our pants, and I'm up first. And so we go in, and when Dad would discipline us, um, we would have to go into the bedroom, and we would sit down, and he would ask us why we were getting our spanking. And so we would explain, you know, what we had done wrong, why we were getting our spanking, and then we would have to get our spanking. So um, it came time for that, and, and I knew what I had done wrong, so I turned around, and you know, this time I just confidently put my hands on the bed and I was ready, you know. And um, so it was just like one, you know, one spanking and it was just, you know, a funk, you know. And um, and he just left the room. And so I remember thinking, wow, that was awesome. It didn't hurt at all, you know. And so I opened the bedroom door and Nicole was sitting in the hallway waiting for her turn. I'm like, it worked. That was so awesome. It worked, you know, good plan. Um, and then... Little did I know, I think I just found out a few years ago when I had kids, we were talking about just funny disciplining stories, and I found out Dad actually left the room because he was laughing so hard he could not keep it together. So he and Mom had this big laugh fest in the living room and then came back, and he then told us, you know, to take the Dr. Seuss books out of our pants, um, and then I'm pretty sure we got an extra um, an extra spanking for that, so it kind of backfired. and. In hindsight, you know, I'm like, Nicole, you could have given me, like, a paperback book. We could have big rectangle, you know, hardback books in our pants, which probably wasn't very smart. But it's just a funny memory um, to think back to, and, and it always gives us a good laugh. 
basically scarred her for life, as you can see. <laughs> Never discipline in anger. And a couple more. Do not discourage your children. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged, Paul says. Even though we might have good intentions, sometimes we alienate our children because our expectations are too high. We want them to be perfect. We expect this out of them. And when they fail, because maybe it's outside of their strengths, we oftentimes are too harsh or too critical of them. And so it helps to constantly remind ourselves that we're not perfect either. That every one of us, along with our children, are on this journey and we're, and we're moving ahead one step at a time. And it helps to be transparent with your children and let them know that you struggle sometimes. And for certain, when you fail, and we do fail at times, we make mistakes, make sure you let them know, you acknowledge that to your children and ask them for forgiveness. That's the mature thing to do and it sets the example for your children. And then finally, restore broken relationships. If the parent-child relationship has been damaged, it can be restored. There has to be a willingness on your part to do whatever it takes to make it happen. But it's worth it because so much is at stake. Children will oftentimes give their hearts to their friends because their friends will take the time to listen to them. And so make it a priority to hear what your children are saying to you. It requires, more than anything else, time. There's no shortcut to it. There's no quick fix. It just takes time. And so be willing as a parent to invest the time in what's most important in this world. And when a relationship is strained, it's time to draw closer together rather than farther apart. Now, I know the tendency sometimes is, especially when your children get older and you sense this wall between you and that relationship's not what it should be, the tendency is to just, okay, let them go their way. And you kind of back away from it. That's the wrong thing to do. When you sense that there's that alienation, you go closer. And you get and you stay as close to them as you possibly can. Take them with you hiking. Good, good, good thing to do. Take them with you to work or whatever it is. Get them close to you and stay close until you can win their hearts back again. During those times, it's wise to limit corrections to those that are absolutely necessary. And don't constantly nag or remind them of what they've done wrong. Love them unconditionally. So strengthening families begins with us as parents. And I believe that our greatest calling in life above everything else is to win the souls of our children and to leave them a spiritual legacy. And so make your relationship with God your top priority. Love God, love His Word. And then love and cherish your spouse. Diligently nourish that relationship. And then love, accept, 
and understand your children so that you can naturally influence them into right, godly living. And since none of us are perfect, we're not perfect parents and we're not a perfect family, we all need to call out to God daily for help. And I believe God will help us to live that kind of a life with our families, that we will strengthen the relationship. Because I believe that strong families lead to strong churches. Strong churches lead to a strong nation. So let's start. Let's start here. And let's pray for, our, pray for wisdom and guidance. And let's pray daily for each of our children, for each of our family members. And I believe God will help us to have strong families that will bring glory and honor to Him. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of ministering your word today. Thank you, Lord, that, that you have a, a heart uh, of a father. And help us, God, to follow you and, and you as an example. And uh, in the same way, love our families as you can have us to. God, just bless each one that's here today. Those who are perhaps struggling uh, in their family life. God, help them not to feel guilty or condemned, but, but Lord, to take steps, to, to reach out and correct those things that, that uh, may be weak in their family life. And strengthen them, we pray. Strengthen those stakes in their tent, we pray. And we thank you for this. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Praise God.